Hi, this is Dr. Karen Becker. Join me for Cat Extravaganza Week from January 10th to the 16th to celebrate all things feline. We'll be featuring exclusive interviews from cat experts, a live Q&A, plus amazing daily giveaways. Please visit healthypets.mercola.com backslash cats for more information. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and today helping me celebrate our Cat Week extravaganza is Marilyn Krieger, and she's a certified cat behavior consultant, and she's the author of Naughty No More. Marilyn is joining me today, and we're going to talk about all things cats, of course, but for those of you that may not know Marilyn's background or how she got started being so passionate about helping people better communicate and connect with their kitties, We'd like to hear a little bit of the backstory. So Marilyn, thank you for joining me and welcome. And tell us how you became so passionate about kitties. Well, thank you. Well, of course, uh, I've had cats all my life. That's usually how everybody starts. But um, I became, I noticed, I started observing them, also some wild cats, because I also am working with our wild, um, I'm working on studies with our wild bobcats and our uh, mountain lions. And I started seeing some interesting behaviors and I became very curious about them. So I started to research and then I took classes and I joined the IAABC and became fully uh, certified. And But what I found was that so many people have, um, there's like a cultural fog around cats and there are myths. So I felt that I feel that one of my goals is to educate people and so they understand the behavior. So they don't think things like cats are getting back to them uh, and doing a behavior or getting back at them by doing a behavior, or they just dump the cat outside because they make the they assume that the cat's behavior cannot be changed and it can be changed. Very easy to change behaviors. So that's when I really started uh uh, working in the field, you know, and, and helping people with all this through consultations. And would you say, Marilyn, I'm sure like any behaviorist, there's a myriad of different behavior problems that are, that you see recurrently, but if you could summarize kind of the bigger buckets of why people contact you and, and, and what their issues are, is it more cat, cat to cat issues, or would you say it's split equally cat to cat issues and a single kitty or multiple kitties in the home, not, not necessarily aggression or intercat problems, but more so stress in the home. Is there, are you able to kind of bucket what are the big categories of why kitties have so much stress? Well, there's a, a lot of reasons. Um, people that contact me for litter box issues, that's a biggie, and introducing, bringing a new cat in and having lots of cats and inner cat issues and not understanding the role of things like vertical territory and scratchers and uh, even scent, which is what we're going to talk about uh, today. So, and what happens, what I find is a lot of the problems um, are due to people not understanding the reasons behind yeah. the behaviors. And that's where I yeah. come in. Yeah. And so thinking about smell and scent, you know, I, I'm making a, an awareness video myself right now about smells. And so this was, I'm going to show this to you because these are things that people spray and put in their homes, air fresheners and carpet sprinkles and deodorizers. And, you know, we fill our, 
our homes with a lot of different things that maybe we find pleasurable for smell. But I think sometimes we don't realize how what we are spraying or spritzing or using fabric softeners to wash our kitty tents and beds, we don't realize that first of all, anything we put in and on our home are absorbed through our cat's bodies because of course kitties are walking on whatever we're using to clean our floors. And then of course kitties are meticulous groomers. So anything in our homes ultimately ends up inside of our kitties. But the other thing that I have wondered is how much of our home scenting products could maybe potentially confuse the chemo signals of our cats. I mean, if you think about it, kitties discern a lot through their nose and think about all the stuff in our house that can confuse what they're smelling. Have you ever, th- have you ever thought of, am I the only one that thinks about this? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I'm on the same page as you are. Absolutely. Because when it comes down to a, a cat's sense of smell is so much more acute than ours. In fact, they have 200 million odor sensitive cells where in their noses, whereas we only have 5 million. So, you know, there's quite a big difference. And yes, a lot of these are highly toxic to cats also. And uh, even, and I know this is controversial, but even essential oils. So there's so much, you know, because a cat's, um, uh, well, you know this because you're a veterinarian, but their livers are so, you know, very, um, very different. Yes. Yes. Very different. And so, and and, you know, and I have wondered if, mm -hmm. if even some of the things that we're putting around our house, I guess, of course, there's the toxicity factor, but I also wonder if things that we put when it comes to kitties, understanding their environment and also their place in their environment and their relationship with other cats in the house. Do you think there's a chance that stuff we put on and in and around our homes in terms of chemical load, disinfectant sprays, aerosols, candles, incense, do you think that there's a chance, Marilyn, that that those smells could be maybe not confusing what cats are identifying with their noses, but certainly could make it more difficult for clear communication to take place? No one knows, but do you do you think that that's a possibility? It's definitely a possibility because um, everything kind of is connected to everything else. Absolutely. Uh, and one example that this isn't cleaning products, it's scented litter. Cats do not mm. like scented litter. Another thing is some of these things that are that are used to clean up, uh, there are nitrates in it and cats may urinate on them. Mm. So, you know, there's there definitely could be a connection. Yeah. And also too, the other thing too, the smell, it could be so strong it, for the cat. Maybe it isn't for us, but maybe the cat will then, I don't know, this is just a possibility. I'm throwing it out there, but it may end up the cat has a, uh, becomes cranky, you yeah. know, becomes a little cranky over things, a little bit. Of yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I bring that up to you because I am not a cat behaviorist, but what I have seen Marilyn is my clients. First of all, my clients who have cats with asthma, the first thing we do in an, in an asthmatic home is go over what VOCs or what inhalant chemicals the cat's exposed to. But even if a kitty is not dealing with a respiratory issue or a dermatologic condition, that's the other thing is that kitties, of course, people think, oh, my cat's over grooming because of OCD or some behavior issue. But oftentimes when we do a clean house, when we do a house detox and get Mm -hmm. the chemicals out of the home, the kitties dermatitis can improve. That's one set of things, but I've seen room aversion. I've seen cats not want to go into rooms 
that are heavily scented. And I have wondered if that litter box, of course, happens to be in a room where there's a lot of nap, you know, plugins are a big contender. A lot of people will put those air freshening plugins right next to the litter box. And then the kitty stops using the litter box and humans assume that there's a behavior problem when really there's an aversion to these smells that are very foreign and toxic to kitties. So I just bring up chemicals because I wonder if that can of course play into humans misinterpretation of a behavior problem when really kitties are totally appalled by the chemicals that they're forced to breathe. No question about it. Absolutely. And yeah. it's one of the things that, that I do, I do both on site uh, when I, well, in the pandemic's a little harder, but yeah. for everybody's vaccinated, I still do on-site consultations as well as Zoom. And one of the things I do, the first things I do when I go into a room is I look around and I see if they have what they have as plugins. Yeah. You know, they may have pheromone plugins, you know, feel yeah. away or something, but that's something different. Yeah. A lot of them have the other essential oils and some of these others. And the first thing I say is get those out of there, take those yep. out. The other thing I do is I ask them what they clean up with because sometimes they use products. Not only are they toxic, but they're highly, uh, they're very strong. And sometimes they use them to clean the litter box and then the cats end up with a litter box version. Yeah, so such good, such good kind of common sense advice. And yet sometimes you don't necessarily think about asking those questions until you go in and kind of see what's happening. So let's go to um, plugins that are not chemical based. Let's go to plug-in pheromones because I know that pheromones are something that you work a lot with. Mm -hmm. And I know pheromones, of course, are very important for kitties, for listeners or readers that may not be familiar with pheromones and why they exist and why they're important when it comes to kitty to kitty communication. Could you, could you talk a little bit about what they are and how kitties use them to discern information? Yeah, so it's very interesting. Cats have scent glands in different places around their bodies. So one of them, um, for instance, right here is a scent gland. And I, I could show you how cats use it if you want. I can, with my Savannah, if you want, should I demonstrate? Yeah, yeah sure. Okay. So instead of like going up to a cat, you want to encourage the cat to come towards you. You don't want to corner the cat and use your finger and your cat, excuse my messy house, by the way, you have one corner that's neat. So Dan, notice, see what's mm. going on. I might, and then he's going to rub. There we go. And on the, there we go on the corner here. So what he's doing, he, he has scent glands here. So what he's doing is he's putting his pheromones on, on me. And that's a friendly, he's marking me. And those are friendly pheromones. They also have scent, they have scent glands everywhere. They have them on the bottom of their paws. And they uh, when they scratch, they're marking territory. They have them here. They have them in the anal area. They're all over. But what, so they're different, different pheromones, different chemicals that, communicate different things. Now with this is a friendly kind of a greeting, but it's also an ownership that I'm his, which is true, I am. <laughs> so the some of the plugins, there are uh, plugins and I, I'm not gonna mention um, products. I mean, you can, but I'm, I'm not, that's kind of what I don't do. But a lot, what they do is they imitate the, they're synthetic versions of those pheromones and they're supposed to calm cats down a little bit, take the stress out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, um, to be honest, they may and they may not because yeah. 
The thing is, in the laboratory conditions, it's great. They work fabulous. But when you bring them into the home, there are too many variables that can't be accounted for. Having said that, I do have clients that have some success with them, but I have others that don't. And the reason why I'm saying this is if people get them and think that there's going to be a magic bullet and everything's going to be great, it's not so. It's not so. You have to do the work and there's a lot more that has to be done. Yeah. And that's, that's really good advice. If they work fantastic, but if not, don't give up. And the other thing is pheromones alone don't fix behavior problems. And so that's very good advice. But when it comes then to trying to honor our kitty's incredibly sensitive <laughs> ability to smell and discern their environment with smell, Marilyn, what are some of the things that a lot of cat guardians may overlook when it comes to First of all, how we can help reduce stress by honoring our kitty's olfactory system, but also some things that we may not be thinking about that could actually increase stress. Um, A lot of times people will just introduce cats to each other and they... They don't, they, they don't do it correctly. It has to be over a long period of time. And one of the issues is that you see cats have a sense a familial scent. So that is one way they have cloud or they have a, a colony. And one way they recognize their family members is by smell. Now, you never want to put one cat smell on the other because that's highly stressful. But one of the things that will help in addition to keeping them separated and going through very gradual steps is putting your smell on both cats. Mm. So if you have, so you're the main squeeze, you're the one that gives the cats food. So you get two articles of clothing and you put your scent on both of them on the pieces of clothing. And on one cat, you rub one piece of clothing and then on the other. So that way you start to have a familial scent. Now, um, when cats are buddies, and they are together in colonies and clouders, they will put their scent on each other by licking each other. Mm -hmm. They will aloe groom. But you can do the same thing with your scent. Just make sure you use two different towels. Another example is, and I I love this. So, and I, I have a lot of consultations with this. So one cat goes to the vet and the other stays home. Mm. When the cat that goes to the vet comes home, he looks the same, but he smells like an alien. And a lot of time there's aggression that goes on Mm. and it's, I have to re, we have to reintroduce the cat. So what you do when you bring that cat home, you put your scent on Mm. that cat and then you can let the cat, uh, you know, go back and socialize with his buddy. So it's your scent, not the scent of the vet. And do you have situations, I'm sure, uh, when my clients have said, you know, I, I have tried everything. Some kitties just don't get along. Do you feel, Marilyn, like kitties that just have constant aversion and they're separated and they're living separate lives. Do you think that even though they're living separate lives that potentially continuing to, if you're visiting this kitty and then you go in and visit your other kitty in a separated environment, you just bringing the smell of the other kitty, is that a stressor for the kitties? Or do you think that not as much as we're assuming? No, it can, it definitely can be. And it depends on the situation. Um, So sometimes it's important to wash your hands between cats, Mm -hmm. uh, even wear different shoes 
Okay, because mm. remember, you also bring on your shoe, you bring scent in and the cats can smell. And you always have to consider that. And it's really awful to say, but sometimes um, it's it, it just doesn't work. Every cat is an individual and sometimes yeah. you just cannot integrate them. You give it your best shot, but you have to do whatever is best for not only the cats, but the people in the household. Everyone mm -hmm. needs to be considered. Yeah. And when it comes to helping to reduce stress for our kitties and smells, is there other than doing a chemical inventory in the home and doing what we can to minimize uh, air and or, you know organic volatile compounds that could create air-related chemical pollution, not good for any anyone in the home? <clears throat> is there anything though we can do to intentionally help minimize stress besides? giving the kitties the opportunity for to have an article of clothing from us what else can be done to help reduce stress for cats well if, if it's a matter of introducing cats to each other um i i go through the process of quote farming pheromones so i get two very soft towels or socks and with one i farm remember these pheromones here i farm the uh pheromones of one cat with one and then with the other I put the socks in their area. The cats have to be separated. They need to have their own territories and sanctuaries that the other is not allowed in. But you do this very in a controlled fashion. You take that sock and you can put it uh, near the entrance of the door um, and with the, uh, one and then with the other. And then actually you can use clicker training with it. So that way it's only a tiny, it's the friendly pheromones that are being introduced and you always reinforce them. The other thing are scratchers. And this is a very important thing. Cats have scent glands on the bottom of their paws. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that you provide them scratchers. Cats mark their territories. And if you don't have ways of cats to do that, you they, they will mark their territories in other ways. Okay, mm -hmm. And that can include urinating, spraying okay middening so it's important to provide them with enough scratchers when i go through i have phases that i have my clients go through and i have three zones each cat had when possible sometimes you can't do it and then there's other things we do but each cat has their own sanctuary room and then there's a neutral zone that they'll share it but not at the same time mm. because in they can scratch Put their pheromones by scratching they can rub so they will start um actually getting to know each other mm. through scratching okay and through rubbing without meeting each other yeah that that's a really good that's a that's a very good tip it, when you have a kitty that decides i don't like what i'm smelling I'm going to mark here because I don't like that cat smell. If you need to then take a step back, is there in those situations where you have a kitty become angry and in turn urinate, is there an intermediate action step that that clients should be taking, that cat owners should be taking um, to try and help either prevent that or if that happens where one kitty says, I just am not okay, I'm going to start peeing outside the box, is what's that intervention for that kitty? Well, the thing is, is if, if that's happening when you're introducing cats, you have to, you only can go as fast 
as how the cat who is having the most the issues. Yeah. So if you find a cat is growling, for instance, at the scent or ignores the scent or sits on it, okay, those are those anal glands or urinates on it or whatever, then you're moving too fast and mm. you need to really back it off and go a little slower. Perhaps that means, so this is, this is subtle stuff. You take the sock and you put it in a cabinet so it's not so smelly. You don't, mm. it's not so strong, then bring it out. Mm -hmm. You put that sock near the door to the sanctuary room. So it's not in the core area because yeah. cats have core areas of their territory. So you put it outside of that. So yeah. you, you just, you have to be sensitive to the reactions and the responses of the cat to what yeah. you're going to do. Okay, so I also and, use clicker training, by the way. Okay, and I love that. I know you use clicker training. So let's just talk a little bit about um, so during the blessing for me for COVID <laughs> when I was stuck in my house for a year was that I also trained my cat to do a gazillion silly tricks because I, I don't want to say I was bored. I'm like, well, I have more time than I ever have. Why don't I do this? So I do love the fact that you have dispelled many of the myths associated with training cats, including clicker training, but it's easier than when people think, will you talk a little bit about, first of all, did you how did you decide to start clicker training and do you implement it with a lot of your clients? Is it something you do as a routine part of your, when you do consultations, is clicker training a part of your training? It, it depends because I use it as a tool. That's the thing. I use it as a tool. It is a way of reinforcing a cat. Now you don't have to do it this way, but one way reason I do this with clients is that People get very frustrated and I understand this and they'll yell at the cat or what, punish the cat and it's that's stressful. Instead, you see, I use the whole psychological thing. Instead, if you teach people how to reinforce the behaviors and mm -hmm. how to work with the cat, not only does it uh, minimize their, their frustration, but it also increases the bonds between the people mm -hmm. and the cat. And that is so important. Because it is frustrating. Who wants to have cats that are urinating all over their, you know, their house? So, you know, so you, you want to give them, you want to give people tools that they can work with that'll help them and also modify yeah. cats' behavior. And that, this is just one of them. Yeah. And so, so clicker training is something you use for helping owners communicate with their kitties, reinforcing the behaviors that they want all brilliant. If you don't have a kitty that's food motivated. Oh, I love this. I love it. Was perfect. Yeah. Now what? Let me give you the definition of a treat. A treat is anything that rocks that cat's socks. So some cats love to be groomed and a couple of brushings mm -hmm. is a treat. Some cats love to be, come on, Sibiani, love to be love to be uh, scratched behind the ears, for instance. You don't use, um, you don't use uh, play because uh, there's a, a, a more neurotransmitters and things like that that are involved. And, and sometime we can talk about that, but not, not today. But um, a treat essentially is anything that rocks that cat sock. It doesn't have to be food. Yeah. 
okay, so you need to find something to reinforce. And, and, and once you have, once you know what your cat likes, which is part of our job, I think as guardians is to find out what they enjoy and what they don't, what doesn't resonate with them. Once you find out something that is enjoyable for them, that can be used as the reward for clicker training. Yes. Have you been clicker training kitties a long time? I have, I have. Yeah. 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 About, uh, about 18 so well, great not quite eight, not quite 18 years I won't yeah about maybe about 18 years it's been a long time and and are all your cats clicker trained yes they are um, one of another thing all my cats including this boy I have three and all of them are 18 years old and um, uh, they one of them well at this point one of them has cognitive issues mm-hmm. and I worked out a protocol that includes clicker training. There's other things that I do as well. And what it seems to do is reduce the symptoms. Interesting. How? Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So first of all, um, play, we'll just look at play. So if you even, it's almost, you know, like neuro-linguistic programming for cats. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take a toy and the cat is, you know, moving and even just grabbing, that's movement is going to help. Clicker training will keep the cat focused. Now you mm-hmm. don't have to have the cat doing a lot of things. You start with just um, the click and the treat, whatever that treat is, and the cat knows. Then you start reinforcing something the cat does. And if the cat loves a treat, they will do that. But what happens is that it really gets, it, it gets them, it gets dopamine. Okay. So yeah. it, it, the dopamine is working. Other neurotransmitters are working. Um, one of my cats, well, Olivia, she has what I am calling sundowners. Mm-hmm. And at 7 PM, she becomes highly aggressive towards me. So what I figured out, I figured out the antecedents, what happened before uh, now, she also has a very good nose also. Mm-hmm. So I use scent again, using scent in combination with clicker training. So, um, and there are some certain things she loves. There's a, a and I, I'm not going to mention a brand, but there are a couple of, of treats and food that she adores. So she, I, when, before, um, so there's always the same place it happens. Um mm-hmm. And so I move her, she has to be somewhere else. And the way I move her is I entice her with scent. Okay. So Mm -hmm. then she'll go somewhere else. Then I have her sit. So she's doing incompatible behaviors, other stuff. So now it's gotten to the point at 7 PM, she automatically goes, actually it's on top of a cat tree. She'll go there. She'll always and she can smell the scent and then she gets something. So we're working again on a neurotransmitter level and she sits and then we go through different, you know, things. She sits, yeah. she also says her name. I'll say, hi, Olivia. And she'll go, oh, <laughs> you know, and I always reinforce that, right? What are you going to do? Yeah. And Marilyn, have you been able then out of this, out of you recognizing, okay, she's into sundowners. So if you preemptively start this, you, this a nighttime ritual before seven o'clock, you've been able to completely avoid additional aggressive interaction with her just by rerouting that earlier yes. than seven. So good. Yes. But what she does do a lot of these guys and you want to make sure, you know, if you have a cat and a, a senior cat and you think they they may have cognitive issues, you have to get that cat completely evaluated with a geriatric exam by a veterinarian because yeah. there are other things like thyroid there's a yeah. whole bunch of 
uh, you know, that'll uh, issues, medical issues that'll cause the same symptoms that you see with cognitive issues. So once that is ruled out, then, um, so for instance, another thing that they'll do is they get lost at night and you'll, mm-hmm. they'll start screaming and yowling. Yep. Right. And so you want to make sure that you have plenty of lighting for them, low lighting, but then also, and she does this, but I know she'll do it. So um, what I've been able to do, and you want to be careful, you don't reinforce the behavior either. So you don't want to, you know, treat her or anything like that when she's yelling. But I kind of know the circumstances that will lead up to it. So because I know that, I can then do a little bit of work and get her mind kind of going a little bit, and then she'll be okay. Also, with working her, and they will then, um, they'll get tired, and then they'll go to sleep. Yeah. And I think that I have seen with cats, with any type of cognitive impairment, there's a physically moving them, engaging them with exercise is a mm-hmm. really big benefit that if they, if their sedentary lifestyle is perpetuated by, by lack of cognitive stimulation and lack of physical movement, those two things compound and escalate the issue I have found. Yes, yes, I agree. And I mean, it's kind of like people, isn't it? I mean, we're all animals. Yeah, exactly. And the more that we are able to work on some of these behaviors prior to your kitties becoming geriatric. So in the seat, if anyone listening or reading and they go, I have a senior that probably is somewhat bored and does do a lot of sleeping. This is the time to start engaging them. This is the time to start getting them moving and becoming creative with brain games and interactive toys and interactive training sessions. Yes. And also back to scent, you can use scent with these cats need the enrichment and people seem to forget the importance of scent. Scent is more important. Um, I mean, their, their sense of smell is higher than their, their sight. Their sight isn't as good as their scent. Okay. So use that, use that. And so talk other than the happy pheromones on, uh, sock or soft towel, what are some other ways that cat parents can use scent both for maybe environmental enrichment as well as behavior modification? As well as what, excuse me? Behavior modification. You know, if you're trying to work on communication between two kitties in the house, but that you can use scent in other ways like environmental enrichment. Well, um, yeah, now, okay. You can use your scent. Yes. So if you, so for instance, if you have a cat that seems to have a separation anxiety. Now, I'm going to say this, but within the last week, there is a study that, Mm -hmm. and you're probably aware of it. I I am. Yeah. But I still, I'm still going to go with this and say this, even though this study says that uh, scent doesn't, the human, the people scent doesn't make a difference. I don't, I, I don't believe it because of what I have, uh, my clients have experienced and what I have experienced. So for instance, if you're uh, going away for a couple of days, um, I have my pet sitter. What, what I do is I get articles of clothing or towels that have my scent and my, my pet sitter puts one out every day. Mm. And what she sees, and I see it on my cameras, is this guy is the uh, large Savannah. He will then park himself on it and he won't mm. move. Mm. If I don't do that, 
he has a tendency to vocalize more. Hmm. So, and I, and my clients have seen that also. So I, I just, and I haven't, I, I need to really look at that study to see yes. how it was conducted and I haven't done it. And, and so I, I, I'd like to see that. Yes. Research. Yes. And also I agree with you. I think that one study is not enough for us to come to any profound conclusions. I also believe that there are many different circumstances and events and variabilities that are really hard to for a study to be inclusive of all of the variables that affect a cat's inter-home stress level and uh, be able to mitigate those variables in ways that are actually identifiable. So I, th I think there's a lot of variables going on that potentially allow us to have more questions than we do answers with this with that particular study for sure. Yeah, agreed. And so let's talk a little bit about um, declawed kitties because some people, uh, my mom adopted kitties that were declawed. She would never declaw, but she adopted kitties that were declawed, and they have they they have a much obviously harder time. They want to use the pads of their feet to help with marking and they go through the motions, but you can see how cellularly unsatisfied they are because they don't get, their tendons and ligaments are not being exercised. <clears throat> they are not able to do any of those natural movements that kitties with claws are capable of going through. They're not able to do it and you can see the frustration. Do you have any workarounds for kitties that have been declawed? Okay, first of all, one thing to say, um, declawed cats will still scratch. They because, do. Because yeah. the scent glands are on their paws. Of course, so. of course. But, but, but it's touch? not, it's not, it's not as, of course, the, the, the chemo signals come out of the skin, not the keratin. Correct. But the fact it's that they painful. can't lock that you got it, they can't lock their keratin in to be able to help. It's basically a paw massage is what they give themselves that help release some of those chemo signals. They can't do that. And you, you can watch their frustration. <laughs> Right. Poor guys. And it's painful for them. It's very painful. It can be painful. Some of them, it's very painful. Yes. And and they can't really grab hold. That's, That's right. correct. They can't really grab. And even the sound is a big deal when they're scratching. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's a problem. So what I, I try to do is I want to make sure there are lots of scratchers that they actually enjoy and that yeah. are horizontal. Mm -hmm. as well as posts of different ones for them in different areas. Yeah, that, that's good. That, that's good advice. Horizontal is a good advice. Yeah. And also different, um, made of different material, you know, especially decoy kitties having hypersensitivity. Sissel is, I have found Sissel's like not a key thing. Carpet, softer Carpet. surfaces. Yeah. Yeah. Good Very point. good. Yeah. Good point. It's like with the litter too, that can actually can hurt them too. You have a lot of litter box situation. Mm -hmm. You also have aggression, more aggression with some of these poor kitties that have been. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So back to, back to age with, uh, so you've got geriatrics in your home. It's awesome that you have three older kitties. If someone was contemplating bringing in another cat Let's walk through some of the, the, the key things you would suggest to try and minimize stress on all fronts. Do you have some key suggestions you would kind of blanket approaches or blanket suggestions you would give to listeners and readers if they're entertaining the thought about uh, bringing in a new kitty? 
Yeah, first of all, you want to do your homework. You want to find out about the new cat you're bringing in and, and look at your cat. How has your cat been in the past with other cats if they've had that experience? What about the new cat? Also the age, because mm -hmm. here's the thing, I would never bring a kitten in. I would never bring in another cat. He would not, I, I know him, he would not ever accept another cat. Yep. Knowing that, I will never bring in another cat. So you need to know your cats. And so in other words, a lot of people bring in a cat because they want a cat. It has nothing to do with actual cat residence. Um, but the thing is, when you bring in a kitten and you have an older cat, it's the kitten's job to just be all over the place and be energized and crawl up the ceiling, whereas the older cats to chill out and to nap. The two just does not do not work. So you want to look at things like that before you even bring in a cat. Make sure if it's really the right decision, who are you doing this for? Yeah. Yep. That's number one. The other thing, um, ideally, when you bring in another cat, uh, and now not everybody can do this, but if you can have those three zones so that the cats don't meet each other, you have to remember the cats are highly territorial. If you're bringing in a new cat and your resident cat, this has been his home. He knows where, you know, his food is and where everything is and no other animals come in your, his main squeeze. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one way of looking at it, if you want to talk about people, is, is if somebody all of a sudden comes into your house and takes over. I mean, I don't, I don't think you would be very happy over it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It is. And so, um, are you, and then last but not least, I, I think there's this misconception that if you just try hard enough or try something else, at some point, all the kitties are going to be friends. Can you speak to that? Because that's just not the case. Sometimes you, sometimes you are not going to be able to make everyone be friends. Unfortunately, that happens. You give it your best, best go, but again, you have to do whatever's best for the cats, mm -hmm. both cats, as well as the people. Um, I always feel that, you know, the resident cat really has a priority yep so that's kind of how my, yeah that's yeah i think that as as cat guardians are we have to commit to caring our first priority is the kitties that we have already promised a forever home and that is our first obligation and if we are thinking about adding to our home adding to our family that's great but our first priority has to be the safety the emotional and physical well-being of our current commitment yeah really important advice, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Marilyn, if people wanted to learn more about what you do, or if they would like to talk with you more about maybe the specifics of what's happening in their home with their kitties, where would they go to find you? Well, uh, my business is The Cat Coach. So my website is thecatcoach.com. On Facebook, I have a business page. It would be great if you, you know, check that out. I have everything about cats there and including some of the things with my, uh, my studies with the wild cats. Mm. Um, that's all there too. So, or you can email me at Marilyn at thecatcoach.com. That's beautiful. Just one question about your work with the, uh, with our domesticated kitties, larger, wilder outdoor cousins. Before I was a veterinarian, I was a wildlife biologist. So I also share your interest in looking at felids across the board. What are some of the things, now that you are studying wild felids, what are you seeing with similarities 
to our domesticated house kitties? Oh gosh, I love this question. So let's go back to scents. So, um, and I, I did a whole article on uh, these lions. And, and so what happens is they mark their territory. And, and one way that they do this is by scratching, they use urine, okay? Mm -hmm. They also do what's called middening, which is um, defecating in an area. But, and it, like with our little, like with our ferals and our domestics, when they mark, they are putting information about themselves. This information is, I own this. Um, I might be advertising, not me, but the cat yeah. advertising for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, also uh, health. There's a lot. And when I've been there and it functions uh, across species, all animals can read this. And so, so, so for instance, uh, prey might stay away from an area if they know there's been a larger predator that's been around. So that's one way because our, of course, we fix our cats. So you don't have the marking. There's no reason for them to do that. You don't have all these, um, you know, like the, the testosterone, et cetera. Um, but they still, but still you have the marking. They scratch also. Scratch, set plants down in here. Okay. That's the other thing. Um, also whiskers, um, the way whiskers work is very similar. Okay, because when they're hunting, uh, it's it um, the whiskers come forward and help guide the, the bite. Okay, mm -hmm. because of the way cat side is. Um, so there's just so many different. Mm. Uh, there, there's so many similarities. It's, it's there really, are. It's really fun. It it is super fun. I uh, was 25 years ago when I first started looking at similarities. It's really shocking. I believe that there are actually more similarities than there are differences between wild and domesticated cats. I, it's, it's pretty neat. I think, and, and I think it would, that it's a, a blessing that you're able to look at all of the different species and do some comparisons, but we do live with little lions and tigers in our house. And, and once you study lions and tigers, any cat, it's remarkable how so many of their behaviors are incredibly similar. Um, even the way that they move, that their, their physiology is just remarkably similar. And I love that. But that also goes uh, for us being able to respect how yes. their, their uniqueness as a species, for sure. Definitely. If, and I hope you don't mind I mention this, but I do have a site called urbanedgewildlife.org urbanedgewildlife.org and um, in there because now um my, my writing right now has been concentrated on the wildlife wonderful wonderful so I, thank you and thank you for mentioning that i think that there again the more we can understand the wild animals we live with in terms of coexisting in a mutually safe and beneficial environment it's really good so thank you for expanding your writing expertise and behavioral commentary to species that live outside of our homes as well thank you for that thank you and thank you, Marilyn, for joining our Cat Week Extravaganza. It has been wonderful to have your expertise and insights uh, with us that you would lovingly and thoughtfully provided to us today. Thank you for participating in this week. And we really look forward to getting the word out about all that you do. I really appreciate your asking, asking me to do this. <laughs> thank you.